The scripture says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, what we see is the creation account being described as God speaking things into existence. God says, let there be light, and there is light. God, God says, let the land be separated from the sea, and that's what happens. God speaks things to existence. We, we worship a God. The God of the Bible is a God who speaks. He's a God who communicates. The Scripture says He's a God who calls things into existence that we're not. God speaks and things happen. So it really shouldn't be a huge shock to us that He would want us to be concerned about how we speak, that He'd want us to take communication seriously. It makes perfect sense. And so what we want to talk about today in this section is just that. What does it mean to communicate well? How does having faith in Jesus change how we communicate? And remember, the whole theme of the book of James is faith that works. It's, it's not just what we are to believe, but how in believing that, in believing Him, it changes who we are. It changes how we live our lives. And that change includes how we speak, how we communicate to, to one another. And so basically, I'm going to give you three main things. If you got your little A5 piece of, of paper on your seat, that, that helps you kind of follow along. But the first thing we want to talk about is, is probably the most sobering, and that is this that we are accountable for how we communicate. We're accountable. I think maybe this is the thing that is difficult, most difficult for us, especially for me, because James starts off this section by saying, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Now, apparently what was going on in James' day, there were many people uh, in this church in Jerusalem, James being their pastor, who probably thought, oh, that looks good. I think I want to be one of those guys that gets honored by, by teaching. I want to be one of those people that's up front. So I want to be the one who's speaking. And James is saying, you know what? Don't be too quick to do that. Don't rush into being a teacher. Now, it's easy for me to look at this and know that this is speaking to me. And it's hard for me to look at this and know that this is speaking about me. Because I have to confess to you that I sin with my mouth all the time. In case you haven't noticed, I like to talk. And the problem is, when I'm talking, sometimes I'm not thinking about what, how what I say is affecting somebody, or at least I'm not thinking it through well enough. So you may or may not know that we have, uh, we have uh, five visitors from Calvary Chapel Bible College up in York staying with us for a week doing an outreach. In fact, they're going to be at our Sunday night service, and each one's going to give their story. They're going to take five minutes and share kind of how they came to faith in Jesus. So come and check that out if you, if you want. But these five students, when I picked them up, they didn't know who I was. I knew they'd be intimidated, so I took advantage of that fact. <laughs> and I had a little fun. And, and I, we, we went to the, the grocery store, the supermarket, and I said, okay, you, you get this, you get this, hurry. And they come back with stuff, not that, go back and get the right one. And, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, they're so, they're so scared. And I'm kind of giggling under my breath as they're doing these things. Because I have this sick, twisted sense of humor. Now, they're good sports, they had a good laugh, they had fun with it, but, but afterwards I was thinking, you know, that really wasn't the nicest way for me to use my words. It's, it's amazing how easy it is for us to sin with our mouths, not just what we say, but often how we say it. And, and, and James has wanted us to recognize, look, we're accountable for this, in fact, specifically saying, look, teachers 
need to be few and far between because they have a stricter judgment. Now, that's not just, I don't think in this context it might be speaking specifically of those who teach to the church, Bible teachers, but let's be honest, this has to do with anybody who wants to have any kind of influence through communication. If you blog, this would apply to you. If you use social media and say things that you hope get likes, this would apply to you. If you're a parent or a grandparent, if you're a school teacher, this would apply to you. The idea is that we recognize there's an accountability for what we say. And listen, the more influence we have, the stricter our accountability is going to be. It's very sobering, isn't it? It's one of the reasons why we are actually so slow to let people teach from this pulpit. That we, we, we let guys be trained and, and teach in other venues first. They get used to things before they come up here and teach. Not because we think we're better, not at all, but because we want to protect them from a stricter judgment. We want them to be careful about, we want them to be sober about what it means to come here and, and share God's Word. In fact, it's interesting because when Peter talks about our ministry, that everyone has a gift, he, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, Peter's writing to all believers who would read this, saying, look, you all have gifts to use. We want you to use it as a way that manifests or demonstrates the grace of God to the people who are receiving it. Specifically says, so, uh, he says, if anyone speaks, anyone has a speaking gift or or uses uh, speech to bless somebody, let him speak, notice, as the oracles of God. Now, if you know anything about the Scripture, you know that God takes seriously those who say they're going to speak in His name. In the Old Testament, if a prophet spoke in God's name and said, hey, I'm speaking for Yahweh, the Creator God, and here's what's going to happen in a few weeks, if it didn't come to pass, guess what? God says, take that guy out to the city and stone him to death. That would keep guys from flapping their gums too quickly, wouldn't it? I mean, that's sobering. It's scary to think about that God would say, listen, I don't want people speaking for me if they're not going to really represent me. I don't want people speaking for me if they're going to say things that I don't want to be said. And Peter, when he talks to the whole congregation about speaking gifts, and we're called to teach and exhort one another, the Scripture says. He says, let them do so as with the oracles of God. You make sure the words that you're saying are the words that God would want you to say. That's hard, isn't it? That's a very high standard. It's sobering to think about. It's interesting because he goes on to say in verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. James is, notice I love the way James says we. Look, hey, let, we're going to receive a stricter judgment. He knows he's a teacher. He's going to be judged. He says we all stumble in many things. He knows, look, I mess up too. But he says if anyone does not stumble in word, that is in communication, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. Now, by perfect, he doesn't mean in the sense of sinless, never messing up. The idea of perfect here is the idea of complete, you've done what you were meant to do. Mature is maybe the idea. And so the idea here is that the more self-control we have, the greater maturity we're we're demonstrating, specifically when we have self-control with our speech. This is a serious thing. God calls us He calls us, listen, to be sober about how we communicate, especially as Jesus followers. 
Because remember, guys, as, as followers of Christ, he's given us this great commission. He says for all of us to go out there and share him with people, to demonstrate who he is by our actions and communicate with our words, explaining what he's done and who he is. And he says, I look, you're accountable to get that right. It's, it's a serious stuff, isn't it? James had said earlier in James chapter 1, he said, if any among, uh, among you thinks he's religious, or you might say pious or disciplined, it's religious in a good sense. He says, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. He says, this one's religion is useless. Hey, without showing a raise of hands, have any, have any of you, whether now as a believer, maybe someone didn't know you're a Christian, or maybe now if you're not a Christian, have you ever had someone try to share the gospel with you, share Christianity with you, and, and, and one word they're saying, hey, God's real, God loves you, and the next word they're effing and blinding, or they're, they're just being really rude or crude. Ever had that happen? Don't show hands, but you know what I'm talking about? I remember walking through a London, or my wife walking through a London uh, tube station, and this guy was, uh, he was preaching with a bullhorn. And it wasn't the things that he said were wrong, they were good. The thing was, he was saying in a very harsh tone, and when, when uh, uh, my wife kind of looked at him and just kind of gave him a little thumbs up, like, you know, good job, and we're praying for you, he starts calling her out. Why aren't you doing this? And I'm just thinking, you know, she's just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm trying to encourage you that at least you're saying something that's true, but you're totally blowing it now. Our communication is so crucial. How we communicate, both by our actions and our words, is crucial. And we're accountable for that. Listen to this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. He says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word, every casual remark, every sarcastic comment, every harsh response every careless criticism. Think about that. We're accountable for how we communicate. It's sobering stuff, isn't it? Now, he then goes into these metaphors, and he gives us these metaphors because how we communicate has great potential, and he wants us to see that. James wants us to see how we communicate has some great potential. Look what he says first in verse 3. He says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn our whole body. He says, also look at ships. They're huge. They're driven by, by fierce winds, but they're turned, listen, by this very small rudder. Now notice what he's saying about this. James's point, he's using two metaphors for the same purpose. He's saying, look, these are very small things that determine the direction of big things. So small things, you know, um, a bit in a horse's mouth. You know, if you, if you ride like an average-sized horse, that horse is going to be up to 10 times bigger than its rider. Horses can kill a rider easily. And yet that rider can control the horse with this very small piece of metal rightly put into the horse's mouth. It's amazing. Something small can, can bring control to something so large. A ship. We have these massive boats, and the, if, we, if you see the rudders by themselves, yeah, the rudders are huge, but they're usually like maybe one one-thousandth the size of the whole capacity of the ship. That's such a small thing can turn this huge ship. That's the whole point. 
Now, this is a positive thing, that something so small can, can, can change the direction of something so great. And it's important right now that we recognize what this is not saying, because there are many there are many people under the Christian banner, specifically those on religious television, that would say that your words have the power to create reality. They would say that what you can do is you speak this and you can have it. Just claim this thing and it will be yours. That is not what this is saying at all. The Bible does not teach that. God's words create reality. Our words do not. This is not about us creating reality. You, you don't get to say, you will not be sick, and then you're not sick anymore. I wish we could do that. But the Bible doesn't say that that's how it works. Now, we see the apostles claiming healing over people. That can happen. We also see them praying for people that didn't get healed. But the point is, we don't change reality by the words that we speak. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is this. Listen, he is teaching us that we grasp reality through the words that we speak. We get a hold of reality through the words that we speak. This is why what we speak and how we speak it is so important. There was a gentleman who used to go to church here who was a, he was a good brother. He was, though, he was a bit harsh about how he communicated. It wasn't that what he believed was wrong. It was really, he believed really good stuff, but he'd be a bit harsh the way he communicated. And I used to try to encourage him in this. And I used to say to him all the time, listen, bro, it's not just what you say, it's what people hear. Communication is about what people hear. And how you say something helps them grab onto that reality or not grab onto that reality. Now, it doesn't mean that, that if, you, if someone has said something to you, not just the perfect way that you're no longer accountable for that information. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we, as the speakers, we as the ones who communicate, who are called to share a message to the rest of the world, we need to think about how are we communicating in such a way that it helps people grab onto the reality, specifically of who Jesus is and what he's done. How are we communicating? What are we communicating? A very small thing can make a big difference. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how often, uh, uh, you know, someone will say, say to me like, you know, hey, yeah, we, we came to the church and we, we heard you speak or we heard Adam speak and we thought, yeah, that's exactly what that Bible, that Scripture teaches. It just, yeah, it's so obvious. And when they see how obvious the Scripture is, they go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it has the potential to totally change their life in a radical way. That simple reality of, okay, we get what it's saying so we can grab onto it. Now, our words can be very powerful. They can change people's lives. I mean, think back. Just think back, not even just in a Christian sense. Just think back in a relational sense, in a general sense. A, a time when someone might have said something encouraging to you. It could have been a simple thing. In fact, even now, in recalling that encouraging word, you might be thinking, yeah, but that wasn't that big of a deal, but you remember it, don't you? I remember right before we moved to England, and I went to speak at the church that I had interned at years before. And um, I, I got done with the message and uh, I came down and the, and the pastor came alongside and he put his arm around me. He just, he just said to me really simply, I'm really proud of you. It, it meant tons to me. I don't know why, but it just, it was something about this man who had interned under. He was a, a sergeant in the Marines and during Vietnam. He was kind of a tough man. But he just, he just, just that encouraging word, I am proud of you. Man, that meant tons to me. Tons. It's amazing how these kinds of little things can propel us in the right direction. 
I, I, can, I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've said to somebody, you know, I see God's grace in your life. And I can't just say those words that way and somehow they're magical and they change something. But when I've actually seen God's grace in someone's life, I know God's work in their life, I can't tell you how many times when I've said to somebody, don't be discouraged, I see God's grace in your life, how they just light up. It's a simple little thing. But these small things, these small words, when they're true words and they're spoken in a true way, have great potential. Great potential. The scripture says this in the book of Proverbs. It says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs also says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an, uh, an obedient word. Listen. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Do you see what he's talking about here? And you can, there's more and more of this all throughout the book of Proverbs that our words potentially can have power. He's talking about words here. Listen, just the right words spoken at the right time. And obviously he's talking about here, a wise rebuker doesn't mean that everything we have to say is going to be powerful. It has to be positive in the sense of you're doing great or this is a good thing. Sometimes saying to somebody, look, I love you enough to say, you're blowing it and it has to change. It can be the thing that turns somebody around. A wise rebuker to an obedient ear. It's like fine gold. And what about when you're trying to convince somebody who, who maybe has authority over you, they just don't seem to be listening, and you just want to yell at them and say, listen to me, you don't know what you're talking about, it's my life. But what does the scripture say? Scripture says, no, here's how, here's how words have power. Speak with gentleness. I can't tell you how many times I have been broken by a gentle word from my wife, Sarah, because I'm not so gentle. And I might be, say something out of frustration, like, why is this happening? Or we need to sort this out. Come on, we got this done. And Sarah will just say something just so simple, like, sweetheart, it's taken care of. And I'll realize how obnoxious I'm being just by that little word. It's powerful. Great potential. But also, listen, words can be powerful, but they also can be destructive. L look how he continues with these metaphors. Look at verse 5. He says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Now, being from Southern California originally, uh, we have what's called fire season. Like every year, this fire season. Because what will happen is that uh, over the summer, there's no rain, everything dries up. And especially if we had a really wet uh, winter, what happens is all this grass grows and then it dries up. And all it takes is not even a, a, like an a, a irresponsible cigarette. I mean, that can happen, of course. But just maybe a broken piece of glass and the sun shines through it and whoosh, and all of a sudden, miles and miles and miles, hundreds of square miles, charred. One little spark. He says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is also set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is known as it is set on fire by hell. Words can be destructive. Again, Proverbs 
What does Proverbs say? Listen to this. Some ways that our words can be destructive. It says, An ungodly man digs up evil, and it's on his lips like a burning fire. Do you know why the gossip magazine sells so well? Well, according to Proverbs, it's because we're ungodly. We want to dig up evil. A perverse man, it says, sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Anybody experience that? A relationship ruined or at least really severely damaged because someone else whispers to someone else, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Well, I don't think they think that about you. I think they think this. Proverbs says, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Sometimes we think if we're just always telling everybody how great they are, it's going to help them. No, it doesn't. Sometimes they get a false sense of assurance they shouldn't have. Sometimes they just get a big head and it doesn't help anybody. And here's one that really convicts me. <laughs> Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who strains his lips is wise. Words have great potential. Potential to do great things, but potential to bring great destruction. And we need to be aware of this. Look at what Jesus said, because he, obviously James says here this idea of, of the, the tongue, what our speech communication can be set on fire, is set on fire by hell. This echoes something that Jesus was saying. When Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders of his day in John chapter 8, here's what he says to them. This is, now, this is not me. This is what Jesus says, okay? These are the words of Christ. So this is not me being harsh. This is what Jesus says. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is telling the religious leaders of his day, your daddy is the devil. And you prove your daddy is the devil because you teach rubbish, just like he does. Again, going back to Genesis, you have this picture of this, this paradise that God's made where he's in fellowship with Adam and Eve. And what happens? He says you can do whatever you want. You can eat anything you want except for this one tree. He tells them not to eat of that so they can grow in their love for God by obedience, by not doing the thing that he says not to do, the one thing he says not to do. He wants them to be able to grow and appreciate him more and enjoy him more. And of course, what happens? Satan slithers up and basically tells Eve, you know, why don't you just kind of take some of that fruit? Oh, no, we can't. God said we can't. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Come on. This is exactly what people do when they twist the Scripture. This is exactly what people do when they chuck aside the testimony of history about who Jesus is and what he's done, is they twist. Why? Because their communication begins with a liar named Satan. I know that sounds harsh. I know it's hard for us to accept, but we need to think about the testimony of James. Guys, think about your own words. How many of us would be honest and say, I regret that I said this at this time? I mean, even if you're not yet a believer, even if you're still thinking, I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff, I'm sure there's times that you look back and you think, oh, that was so harsh to say. Maybe out of pride you didn't go back and apologize, or maybe you did go back to apologize, but you still, you recognize, man, I said something I shouldn't have said. You communicated in a harsh way. Where does that come from? 
It comes from, as Jesus says, the father of lies because that's what he wants to do. He wants to use lies to confuse us, to deceive us, and to keep us from knowing the God who made us, who loved us, and redeems us. That's what he wants to do. Now, we are accountable for how we communicate. How we communicate has great potential. But also, and this might be the hardest one for us to to face, is how we communicate actually reveals our hearts. It shows what we're really like. James goes on to say, listen, in verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and, of, and bird, of reptile, creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by man. It is pretty amazing to think about. You go to the zoo and you see, or you go to the circus, or you, you go to some one of these, like, uh, uh, like we have what's called SeaWorld in the States, and you see all kinds of animals that are huge and powerful and intelligent, and they're doing what measly man is telling them to do. They've trained them, bears to dance and snakes to move and you know, dolphins to fetch things. and I mean, they, all kinds of, it's amazing what we can teach animals to do. It's, it's, it's amazing. It really is. We, we, have, we have people now who, who raise man-eating tigers from cubs and they're like family pets. That's amazing to think about. That, that can happen. But no man can what? Tame his own tongue. No man can keep himself, keep this wild creature under control. Why? Why is it that James says emphatically, clearly in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Why does he say that? Why is that so true? Why is it that we can't control our speech? No matter how hard we try, we, we still slip and fall. This is why, listen, we can't tame our tongues because we can't change our hearts. We can't change our own hearts. That's the problem. The problem is we're stuck in this place where we're, we're, we're so broken inside that no matter what we do, no matter how much effort we take, that brokenness remains. We have to have someone else change us. We can't change ourselves. This is what Jesus talks about. Listen, again, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 15, listen to this. Jesus says to his disciples and to, again to the religious leaders of his day who were complaining that his disciples ate before they, or before they washed their hands. They, they thought they'd be ceremonially unclean in doing that. So he says, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? By those things which proceed out of the mouth, but, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Jesus is saying, listen, don't you get it? It's not what's going into you. The problem is not the outside influence. The problem is not there might be dirt on the fish. The problem is your own heart. It's from your own heart that these things flow. That's the problem. It's your heart you can't control. Do you remember, you might remember in the Gospels where Jesus talks about if your, if your hand affects you, cut it off. Or if your eye affects you, pluck it out. He's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for effect. But they're pretty, pretty strong imagery there. 
Because he says, Jesus says, listen, it'd be better for you to enter into heaven losing an eye and losing a hand than enter into hell and having all things whole. He says, you need to deal with the cause is what he's getting at. Cut off the cause. But the problem is this. Listen, we don't have a problem with our hands, really. We don't have a problem with our eyes or even with our tongue. It's with our hearts. It's our heart that needs to be cut out and replaced. We all need a heart transplant. Every single one of us. And it's how we use our tongue that confirms that. Now he goes on to say in verse 9, listen, he says, with this tongue, with our communication, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, he says, proceed blessing and cursing. Notice he says, brethren, these things ought not to be so. Now specifically for us who claim to be Jesus followers. James is saying, this should not be. And we, listen, we should not be content with these conflicting messages that come out of our mouth. Or this conflicting message that comes out of our life. We say one thing and we do something radically different. We should not be content if that's the case. We should be miserable. We should be frustrated. We should be the ones who are saying, oh God, this has to be dealt with. We shouldn't be okay to leave things that way. And we read earlier, didn't we, Matthew uh, chapter Matthew chapter 12, about how we're all give account. Let me read to you the greater context of that. Again, Jesus talking to religious leaders. Listen to what he says, Matthew chapter 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. This is what Jesus says. You know what it means to say brood of vipers? It's saying you're a snake and your daddy's a snake and your mama's a snake. Basically, that's what he's saying. He's being harsh to these guys. He's frustrated because they're so self-righteous. He says, listen, he says, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men will speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. Notice what he says, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. You, those of us who claim to be Jesus followers, need to take seriously the conflicting uh, communication that comes out of our lives. We need to take it very seriously. How have we come to this place where we think it's okay for us to talk about that this book has all authority. This book is, is what we fall back on. This book is what we learn from. We believe God has spoken and speaks to this book. We believe that God wants us to live out this book. How can we claim that and then just live for ourselves like anybody else? How is it, guys, that we come to church on a Sunday morning and we sing, praise you, God, and then complain out loud about our stupid kid. 
How is it that we come and say, God bless you, brother, how you doing today? And then curse our boss to a fellow employee's ear. How is it that we say to one another in the church, in the church, how is it that we say to one another, hey, so you can pray. Let me tell you what's going on in this person's life. So you can pray. Bringing a spiritual cover for gossip. Why do we think it's okay to do that? And I'm speaking to myself as, as much as anyone else. Why do we think it's okay to do that? How is it that we think, yeah, that's just the way we are? My brethren, these things ought not to be. We should not be content with these conflicting messages. If you're not a Christian today, please forgive us. Please forgive us for our hypocrisy. Because we can be so hypocritical about stuff. And if you're not a Christian today, let me just say to you that, that in case you don't understand, we are not saying you should be like us. We are saying to you, you should trust Jesus. We are saying to you, we need a Savior, you need a Savior. In fact, if you, if you want to come to know him today and you want to help us get better at this, please do. Please help us. Because I say, man, we, we just fall so short. And what really grieves me most is that we're okay with it. Listen, I'm not talking about self-condemnation. I'm definitely not talking about us looking inward and going, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. That's not going to save anybody. It's not going to change anybody. I'm talking about saying to ourselves, no more of this. That's it, no more. I'm not going to be double-minded all the time. I'm not going to be this person that says one thing and lives another or speaks this praise and this curse. Lord, I need you to help me with this. I don't want to be this way anymore. It's interesting, too, how, how James closes up this section by, again, using some metaphors. He says in verse 11, does, not a, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? I mean, seriously. Do you ever, ever gone to a well and, and, like, you know, put water down, in, you know, put a, something down into the well, and you, you pull up that well and that cup, and you take a drink, and you go, hmm, nice fresh water. And then you put it back down, and, you're, and it comes back up, and you're like, coffee. What do you know? And then you put it back down and come back, and you're like, I think that's like four-month-old ale. What is that? You know? And no. A spring flows one thing through it, whether it's fresh or bitter. The source determines what's going to come out of it. Notice he also says, listen, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear uh, figs? Does anybody have a grapevine or a fig tree in their garden? Any kind of a fruit tree? Anybody have a fruit tree of any sort in their garden? Okay. So you have some sort of a fruit tree in your garden. If that's to say that fruit tree is an apple tree, probably the most common fruit tree, yeah, that's around an apple tree. Do you ever go to the apple tree and go, I fancy some orange juice. Let me see if I can find an orange on this apple tree. Do you ever do that? No, because you'd be nuts if you did that. Because no one expects an apple tree to bear oranges. This is what James is saying, listen, James is saying, listen, it's the source that determines the fruit. It's the source that determines what comes out. That's why he says, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. It's the source. 
See, what, what's coming out of our life is revealing what source we're trusting in. And if we're trusting in ourselves, what kind of communication is going to come out? Selfish, broken, carnal, lost communication. Jesus says this, and we're almost done. Jesus says in John chapter 7, he went to this feast kind of secretly. It's a feast where they would pour out water as part of the feast. And he says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, he says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus, on this day of the feast, when they're watching this, this water being poured out as a, as a picture of, a, of what they're looking forward to when God's kingdom comes and, and the deserts will bloom and, and all these things will happen. As they're looking forward to it and they see this picture, Jesus stands up and says, hey, I got something to say. Here's the deal. If you believe in me, not just into your heart, but out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You won't just taste pure spring water. You'll give out Pure spring water. Talking about the work of God's Spirit in our life. You see, here's the reality, guys. We can't be content with our conflicting messages, but we must depend on Jesus as the only pure source. There's no way our hearts are going to change or our communication is going to change apart from us abiding in Christ and His Spirit working through us. There's no way. All the efforts that you might make, all the disciplines you, you bring in, all the accountability groups you create, all of which could be good things, are not going to be sufficient unless the Spirit of God is changing you so that what comes out of you is Him. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. The heart. See, our change of communication has got to start with a change of heart. I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. As the music team comes back up, I want to ask you a very simple, pointed question. What is coming out of your heart? What words do you speak? How do you speak them? What does your life communicate? I'm not just talking about morality here. I'm not just talking about being nice people. I'm talking about who do you long for? Who do you trust in? Who do you worship? Because whether you believe in Jesus or not, you worship somebody. What is coming out of your heart? Listen, I don't know your heart. And I'll make you a deal. 
I won't judge you if you don't judge me. But I'll make you another deal. I'll help you if you help me. I'll help you speak words of truth if you help me speak words of truth. I'll help you live out words of truth if you help me live out words of truth. I'll point you back to Jesus if you point me back to Jesus. We need living water. If you're here today and you know that your greatest need is a heart change, and you know your heart has not been changed yet, you're, you're sensing that. Well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. What day? Any day God chooses to deal with you and you choose to respond. You can respond to him. He's a good God. He does, he does forgive. <laughs> and he does keep. And he does change us. He really does. If we're willing to turn away from our sin and stop putting our allegiance to ourself and say, Lord, we want to put our allegiance in you. We want to deny ourselves and trust you. If you're willing to believe what the scripture says. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, it says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with our heart, we'll be saved. In fact, I think I was supposed to read it, wasn't I? Is it on the screen? Yeah, there it is. What does it say? The word of faith which, is, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Do you see that the mouth and the heart have to agree? You can't separate the two. So I'm asking you, in your heart of hearts, whom do you trust? Have you been forgiven? Have you been changed? Have you turned back to him? Because if you haven't, today's the day.